Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartages, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the AEC Marketing for Principals podcast. I'm your host, Katie Cash, and as always, I am joined by my partner in strategy, Miss Judy Sparks. Today, we are super excited to talk about one of our favorite subjects, um, maybe not one of yours, but we're hoping over the course of this episode that you might um, come to appreciate it more than you know, and it is the subject of digital marketing and online marketing and how it really can be a tool in your toolkit to move your brand in the right direction in today's marketplace. Um, a lot of times when we start out talking about digital marketing, we see the immediate glaze go over our architect, engineer, and contractor client's face because they immediately tune out just assuming that there is no application to it in our space. And today we really want to debunk that myth and show you some ideas or share with you some ideas so that you can start thinking about how digital marketing can play into your overarching marketing goals and initiatives. So Judy, you know, you are one of our lead strategists. In fact, you are the lead strategist at Smartages and you are having a lot of these C-suite level conversations with our clients, helping to broach the topic of digital marketing and its application in today's design and construction space. So maybe share with everybody a glimpse into why this is becoming more and more of a trend and it's not just this you know, idea that I need to be on Facebook because my competitors are on Facebook, but there really is a strategy and an art as to how you can use it to make a big difference in your brand. Absolutely. I love this topic, Katie, because I have to tell you, it's quite satisfying for me personally to watch that transformation of my CEO client saying, that's not applicable there's no way that I'm going to get leads on Facebook. I am a professional. I went to architecture school. I am an engineer. No one is buying engineering services on Facebook. I love so, that. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody buys engineering. Nobody buys architecture. Nobody buys construction online. That's exactly. Relationship. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? You're right. Nobody is going to send you an electronic check online <laughs> to buy your services. However, there are very real applications that are revenue drivers that you can use in this online digital world. So let's talk about those. Um, first of all, why are people slow to adopt? Because they don't understand it. Let's face it. Most of the leaders in our industry, one, they're technically trained. Two, they're operationally focused. Three, they did not grow up in a digital age. You know, most of my clients who are CEOs of architecture, engineering, and construction firms, they're in their 50s or 60s or even sometimes older. And when they were coming up through the ranks, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have social media. This is a new distribution channel. And they didn't grow up doing it. So let's cut them some slack. They're not old-fashioned. They just simply need somebody to explain to them how it's going to make a difference to their bottom line. And so once we are able to do that, they are not slow to adopt. They are quick to adopt. In fact, the very first time they see that lead come through their website as a result of a digital campaign. They are so eager to do it again. Why? It's so much cheaper and it takes less time. Wait, so, are you telling me that, you know, these CEOs and these um, professional service firms might not be looking at the analytics on their, you know, already digital applications they have out there to know whether or not it's pulling in leads? Are they... They just have a website for pure validation points. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, Katie, you are hearing me exactly correctly. I uh, am telling you, not only are they not looking at the analytics, a lot of times they don't even know that the analytics are available. So when I tell you they did not grow up in this age, they did not grow up in this age and it's not their fault. 
But there is a marketing professional somewhere on their payroll most of the time that knows this. And it is up to that person to educate their C-suite or find a consultant to educate their C-suite. So this is, <laughs> this is uh, what I hear all the time. And then, hey, you C-suite listeners out there, listen. Listen to your in-house people. When we come into a, an environment where we're talking about digital marketing, it is super frustrating when I hear time and time again, the marketing director of a large construction company or a large architectural firm say, do you know how many times I have said that and nobody has ever listened to me and you come in here and say it one time and all of a sudden it's brand new news? So I would encourage the C-suite to be open to ideas that are unfamiliar. But with that, let me convince you today that there is an application for online marketing for professional service firms. Katie, I think this is best told through stories. You know, uh, if you would have uh, listened to our previous episode on the art of the pitch, people remember stories. So I think it would be good for us to take our own advice and share some tangible stories on how our clients are using digital marketing to advance their brand visibility, uh, engage with a digital audience and influence those buyers, and convert those buyers into actual leads that can be followed up by with their business development or seller doer team. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Katie, because you know you are our resident digital expert at Smartogies. You manage a lot of the strategy around digital. Can you share with us some success stories that have really made a difference in advancing our companies, not our companies, but our clients' missions? Yeah, I, um, I absolutely can share some stories. And for our listeners that where this might be new to you, just to give you kind of some baseline understanding, when we're talking about digital marketing, it's really all the different things that your brand can do online. So it's your website, it's social media, it's email marketing, it's things that you can do um, that people can absorb your brand through a digital meme. So a lot of times when I'm working with clients, I am trying to understand what are all of the tools they already have in their toolkit that they feel brings them the most return on investment. And then we see if there's a way that we can either amplify or replace that physical way of do going about things and do it in a digital means because there is an easier speed to market and oftentimes it is more cost effective. So I think one of the greatest examples I have that might translate well for a lot of our listeners is this idea in our industry that professional service firms be them engineering firms, architectural firms, contractors, um, fire protection contractors, anybody and everybody oftentimes have something that they offer to clients in the form of a educational lunch and learn. And in most applications, you know, there's someone that's charged with preparing their materials, getting it approved by the governing uh, continuing education, like credit authority, maybe it's the AIA, maybe it's another accreditation group. And then they are you know, empowered to go around office by office seeking out um, potential clients or existing clients, if you will, to offer these educational lunch and learns. So they come in, you know, they give a presentation for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and they also pay for lunch for anybody that comes to their presentation. And when you look at some of the larger offices, one of our engineering clients was doing this every week in multiple offices across the United States. So they were spending thousands of dollars each week on lunch and learn simply for the, you know, the boxed dry turkey sandwich that they're taking to XYZ architectural firm. But they are able to show that, hey, it's worth time. We're getting some face-to-face -face time with our clients. We're able to keep them up to date in terms of what's going on in the world of engineering codes and to talk about really sexy things like VRV, VRF technology. And I, yes, listeners, it's super exciting. Like if you don't know about it, Google it. It's super exciting in the world of engineering. But so I was meeting with this client and I said, hey, I think this is great. Let's go ahead and do this as an online webinar. Like 
let's do it. Let's push it out through social media. Let's push it out, you know, through your email list and let's offer it online to a broader list because on a webinar platform, who cares if they are from, you know, 50 different organizations all over the US? You just want them to tune in for that hour, hour and a half. You want them to associate your brand with that particular service line or that solution. And so we did just that. They decided one quarter that they're going to forego the traditional, you know, in-person, door-to-door, one-at-a-time lunch and learn programs. They were going to allocate those dollars to a digital application through an online webinar series. So they utilized a tool. They already had GoToMeeting, so they just added the GoToWebinar extension. That was the technology tool that they used to launch the program. They promoted it via email blasts to their existing clients. They also bought some membership lists through professional organizations in some key areas in terms of geographic expansion where they were looking to add a new office and kind of wanted to build a groundswell of brand understanding and brand awareness before they got to that market. And then we also ran a very targeted LinkedIn campaign for a couple weeks leading up to the webinar just to promote it online with a very specific target audience being more of the senior architectural studio leads that might be in a position to recommend or to specify which engineering consultant they wanted on their projects for their given studio. So they did this. They spent, I want to say, roughly you know, $400 or $500 on the ad promotion through the digital means to promote this webinar program. And day of the webinar comes, um, lo and behold, internet connection was good that day. Technology cooperated. And they had over 200 participants, unique participants, log in to listen to their webinar series. And they also um, were really mindful and they recorded that webinar. So they did it live. They recorded it. And then they repurposed it as an online tool that they had on their social media pages as well as on their website. And they pushed it out afterwards again to the same you know, individuals that they had promoted the live webinar to saying, hey, in case you missed it, you can learn this on your own time. Here's this great webinar resource that we have about you know, this VRV, VRF sexy technology and how it might apply to you and your world. And they also did some, you know, post-event surveys and found out that, yes, they had 200 people logged in. But in most of those cases, it wasn't just one person. They had actually, the organizations had assembled their own little internal lunch and learn. And they had, you know, anywhere between three to 30 people in each of those different logins. So their reach was quite larger than we had ever expected. Um, Again, if you were trying to buy lunch for all of those people and going door to door doing it one at a time, the cost was far greater in their traditional method versus doing it online. Now they continue to do these webinars today. They've got upwards of nine different topics that they use. And it's really funny to me, like this was a great success story for them. It was kind of this proof of concept idea. They were a little bit skeptical on whether or not it would actually work because, you know, so many people in our industry believe that everything is relationship driven. So they really only accept the invitation for us to come give a lunch and learn because they know the presenter and, you know, we're friends and there were reliable partners, but that's really not it. They were really coming because most professionals, um, myself included, sometimes are a little bit of procrastinators and we wait too long and then, oh no, we need to get our continuing education units to keep our professional license or whatever that might be. And so it was really about the content was the bait more so than the person presenting. But through their post-event surveys, they got a lot of requests to actually offer that particular webinar exclusively to companies. So there was a, you know, an individual from XYZ company that participated on the nationwide one found the content to be so great that he asked um, this particular engineering client saying, hey, I want you to do this for everybody in my firm. This was great. When can you do it? I'll set it up. I'll even fly you here if you want to do it in person. And they've had lots of requests like that. So it has proved to be a really great way for them to um, promote their 
um, technical preeminence, if you will, how, how smart they are. That's a great way for them to measure who all is engaging with the content. And because they do it live and then they record it, it's an asset that continues to live online and continues to produce leads for them down the road. So I think that's a great success story. I love telling that story because so many brands in our space do practice the lunch and learn traveling roadshow. Wow, Katie. Can you tell us one more time, tell our listeners, uh, when you say that they advertise this webinar on social media, what was the total cost of that advertising spend? Can you say that one more time? Yep, absolutely. So everybody's always blown away by this because um, for a, a lot of firms in our space, advertising has really been limited. And let's be honest, I wouldn't call it true advertising, but advertising has really been limited to advertising in your conference or trade show programs in directories or your professional services um, organizational directories. And I wouldn't call that true blue advertising. But in this case, we utilize LinkedIn. We built a target audience um, around an industry being design and construction, um, job functions being architectural designers, because again, this was an engineering client wanting to get on all the different architectural firms, teams, and then we based it on job seniority. So we were only targeting individuals that were manager level and above. Um, and with that, we utilized LinkedIn in two applications. We did in stream. So if you're in LinkedIn and you're scrolling through your newsfeed, we did a sponsored content post there promoting the continuing education webinar program. And then we also did upper right hand corner um, text based ads that were a little bit smaller and all in they advertised for six weeks and they spent just shy of $500 on that ad spend. So I can't emphasize enough how affordable it is to advertise, especially in this platform where it's pay-per-click. So that means I am not paying for people who are just scrolling by. Those people will see it, sure, if they don't scroll too fast, but I'm only paying for people that actually click on the ad to register. The, the clickbait was for people to register. So we were happy to pay, you know, the a dollar per click, or even up to $4 per click with some target audience that um, there was a lot of competition around trying to get in front of. But we find it to be highly affordable. If you were to contrast that ad spend with advertising, say, in your local business journal, maybe you take out a quarter page ad, depending on which market you're in, that might be $10,000 spend for a one ad. So the advertising through social media provides you lots of opportunities to target your specific audience so you minimize your waste, but it's highly, highly affordable. Well, Katie, I, I'm just sitting here uh, doing the math and 200 participants, I think you said there was 227, but let's just say 200 per participants. If you were to buy them at $10 lunch, I mean, that's $2,000 and you haven't even factored in the time right. of your billable team going to the office and giving the presentation. So that I think is a no brainer. I think anyone that is in our industry that are doing live lunch and learn should definitely consider a digital application. Well, and I mean, it's so funny too, because um, for any of our listeners that have heard our art of the pitch story, um, you've got this scenario where we're telling you, hey, protect yourself with technology and webinar, and you can be the subject matter expert sitting in your pajamas um, behind a screen of presentations and nobody's going to know, and you can still come across highly, you know, the the expert that you are and not really have to go through all of the challenges and sometimes the anxiety that comes with presenting live because you you are behind a screen and people can't can't really see if you're reading a script or you're jotting down notes or what that might be so there for our engineering client in particular the allure of utilizing a webinar was also really really preferred over having to go and stand up and do a stand and deliver formal presentation in front of a group of their peers. So that's just a byproduct of it. But yes, you know, my last name is Cash. I love when you can spend less money to, you know, achieve greater results. So that's, that's I think, one of the reasons why we love digital. <laughs> the other part of it is really because of the data behind it. So Judy, I'm going to flip it back to you and ask you to tell a story about, um, 
another really relative thing that I think our industry does all the time is they'll complete these really great projects and the traditional idea is, hey, I'm going to hire a PR agency and I want to get, you know, earned media placement in some select um, publications. But we had a client come to us saying, hey, we just finished this great project. I want to get more projects. I don't necessarily want to get more press, but I want to get more projects and we utilize digital. And I would love for you to tell that story. Absolutely. I think that it's so interesting that firms will default to, I really want to garner some buzz around this project. And when we really question the motivation behind why you want the PR, usually it comes down to two things. Either the PR is important because it'll attract more talent to my firm. Other professionals will want to come work with us because of the caliber of projects we do. Or it really comes down to, well, because we did this job, there's other jobs like this job and we want to be considered for them. And that the latter is usually the biggest driver and motivation behind public relations. So in the age of digital, this just got a whole lot easier, people. So we had a client that um, designed a, uh, a landmark mixed-use destination around a, a sports facility. And this principal called me and said, you know, well, it's opening day. It's a big stadium. We did all of this amazing mixed use around the stadium. Everybody's talking about it, but nobody knows that we designed the mixed use. Everybody's talking about the architect that designed the stadium and the owner who's going to be playing their games in the stadium. But, you know, we have this amazing uh, live, work, play environment that's wrapped around the stadium. And you know what? This is a big trend in the country. Our client is educating us that sports organizations all over the country are looking at how do I monetize my sports facility uh, on days that are not game day. So they are getting into the real estate business and they are developing the land around their, their stadium so that they can capture more of those revenue dollars from those fans, not only on game day, but also providing a place for the local community and visitors to that city to come to as a, uh, as a mixed use destination. So we said, okay, well, what assets do you have? And they said, well, you know, we have this really amazing virtual tour that we did for our client, uh, that is this virtual, you know, fly through of our design. And I said, well, that's perfect. Let's use that as the asset. And what we did is we used LinkedIn and Facebook and an application uh, for retargeting. And we targeted the C-suite of professional sports organizations. So that's imagine the CEO, CFO, president, CMO of major professional sports organizations all over the country, um, as well as commercial real estate developers that develop mixed-use projects. And we serve them up an ad of, you know, inviting them to take a virtual tour of this new landmark project that was opening that weekend. We ran the digital campaign over opening weekend. Um, through LinkedIn sponsored in-mail, sponsored content, as well as retargeting uh, visitors. So when you clicked on the ad, it took you to a specialty, specialty landing page where they would then leave and be retargeted. I think everybody's had the experience of looking at something online and then going to a different website and all of a sudden the thing you were looking at has an ad that's following you. That's called retargeting. And uh, the retarget ad had a content offer, what do the most successful mixed-use facilities have in common? And when you click on it, you give your information and you get this download. Well, to make a long story short, 300,000 impressions, Katie, uh, through this campaign. For our listeners that don't know what impressions are, break it down for them. Well, think of it as a view. Uh, the, the ad was served up to potentially have 300,000 views. But more impressive is 
610 clicks on the virtual tour of these highly targeted individuals to watch this video and then get retargeted and the click through to the content offer. This entire campaign costs $1,500 in ad spend. That's awesome. (laughs) So if you, I think that, you know, I have clients that spend $1,500 on a foursome to play golf with one client to be able to reach 300,000 views, 610 individual clicks, and to garner leads from the content download for $1,500 in ad spend is phenomenal. And then on top of that, that, that campaign led to an inquiry from a developer that was developing a mixed-use project in Portland, Maine, where our client does not have any salespeople or an office. It's a $100 million development, and our client is designing it. So I would say that that's pretty strong ROI for digital. Yeah, I I would argue that that's worth the money, especially if you can track it back to um, that actual project win. Absolutely. Yeah. Katie, I have to say, you know, lead gen is a major, major driver when it comes to digital applications for our industry. But you know, a lot of our clients are not looking for new work right now. I know that seems like a really strange thing to say, but everybody I know is really busy right now. So they're looking for people. So I think you have some stories that talk about, you know, these digital applications uh, when it comes to recruiting. And I tell you, those recruiters today are, are having a great uh, a great season because those recruiting fees are quite high to <laughs> steal quality employees from your competitors. So I think that you have some um, applications when it comes to the HR side of our of our business. Yeah. So we've we've covered kind of um, a sales tactic. We've covered a lead gen story for digital. I'm happy to share with you some. Uh, recruiting and HR ideas in terms of digital. And I think that everybody's probably heard this by now, but the younger and younger that these professionals are coming out of college, the more digital natives that they are. And so I have to emphasize the importance of your website, especially when it comes to recruiting new talent. And I hear it more time than I you know, would ever want to, that the people, our clients included, are losing out on really great candidates because of the, you know, the appearance of the website, some websites, even in today's society, are not mobile friendly, or it's just an online portfolio, and people are wanting to know more about corporate missions and value statements and what day in the life of at XYZ architectural firm really looks like. They they really want to know what a career journey may be. And so I, I just really want to kind of pre-preface the story around the importance of having a strong online presence centered around an effective uh, website that's working for you and for your brand and promoting your employer brand out there. Um, the other thing that's fun about recruiting are depending on who you're trying to recruit, there are different avenues that you can take from a digital standpoint. So I mentioned these these younger professionals, maybe you're trying to get co-op students that are currently in college or you're trying to get those fresh new grads. Judy's example of, you know, utilizing social media is a great way to get some ads, maybe promote an online um Maybe you're going to host like an open house or maybe you're going to have like a pop-up meet and greet with some of the principals from your firm for a recruiting standpoint. Those are great applications for that. But if you're like some of our clients, you are having a hard time filling more of those senior positions in the firm because it's it's not lost on us that just a couple of years ago, we were in the Great Recession and a lot of individuals in the design and construction space, there was a mass exodus. And those individuals have not returned to our industry because they explored, you know, work outside and they have not returned. So we still hear on almost what feels like a daily basis that you know, they have more work than they have people to do it and that they really need some senior individuals to step in at their firm to help build and train some of the younger ones and they can build these succession planning. So we were working with a smaller 
specialty contractor out of the Southeast that builds everything from, you know, Texas all the way up through Boston into New York City as well. Um, But they operate one office in Metro Atlanta and then everything else they do, they have these road warriors that will go out and um, build for, you know, their clients. And they work primarily in the telecom and data center and mission critical space. So they are building specialty facilities where you can't just hire anybody. So it doesn't mean that they couldn't hire a project manager or superintendent that built schools and have them come build, you know, a specialty data center that, that, there's a loss in translation. There's a there's a knowledge gap there. So it's kind of like building specialty facilities like for hospitals. You can't entrust that level of um, detail to someone who hasn't done it before. There's a big risk there. So they really weren't looking for your general construction person. They really needed to get someone that had the specialized knowledge. And they had worn out all the traditional methods. They, you know, they had advertised all the traditional trade publications. They had employed multiple recruiters to go out and actively seek out individuals. They had also gone the route of, you know, putting up a job board. They did the zip recruiter thing. They were promoting those positions online through that. And they really weren't getting any traction. And when I was having the conversation with their owner, I said, hey, you know, what do you think it is? What do you think this challenge is? And it was like right there in front of us, the elephant in the room. Well, we're trying to recruit people in these areas where we don't have an office and they've never heard of us and we just sound like a fake company. I think we're coming across as a scam because who in the world is going to come work for a company out of Cedartown, Georgia, that is saying that they're building on Fifth Avenue? Like nobody's going to believe that. So I'm like, okay, well, we, we really have a gap in understanding in the marketplace. So what can we do to overcome that? And we used what, you know, in everywhere else in the world is a very traditional distribution channel, which is radio, but it is not at all remotely traditional when it comes to design and construction. So this is this is a, a, con, a specialty contracting firm looking for seasoned superintendents. They weren't finding them through a recruiter. They weren't finding them through online. And at the end of the day, we landed on radio because these superintendents are always in their trucks in the morning and in the afternoon going to and from the job site. And we again, we were looking for those actively employed superintendents. So we we're like, okay, we're going to have a captive audience on the morning and afternoon commutes. How can we reach them? Billboards were outside of the the cost that we were willing to pay. And so we we turned to our friends over at iHeartMedia and we partnered with them for a two-week total traffic takeover. So in this particular area that they were looking to hire immediately for these superintendents on across all radio stations, country, you know, classic rock, alternative rock, you know, today's pop, even the Hispanic channels, even, you know, your talk radio stations during the morning and afternoon commutes when they break in for weather and traffic announcements. Our client had this 30 second pre-roll ad that promoted their company name and promoted job opportunities with a call to action to apply online. So it was driving traffic online. Um, through iHeart, you know, they also have the iHeart Media app. And so it's similar to Spotify, similar to Pandora. And with that, we were able to run digital ads in their app as well so that people could just click and it automatically would take them to the website. We chose the call to action to be going to the website so that people could fill out the application and learn more, more so than a phone number. Because if you're driving and you hear a radio ad, the likelihood that you're going to remember that phone number, is pretty slim. But the likelihood that you can remember, you know, a company name's website address, that's, that's pretty likely. So we ran that for two weeks. They, you know, long story short, if I skip to the end, they had candidates apply. Shockingly, I know everybody's like, really? People apply through a radio ad? But these were individuals that we later learned, you know, had been receiving the targeted messages. You know, they had been receiving some calls through some recruiters, but they really weren't justifying that this actual company was real. You know, the the problem was true. They were being seen as, you know, what we call in our industry, the trunk slammers just coming in and, and being that mom and pop shop and not being as sophisticated as they really were. So there was this extra layer of... um 
validation that was gained by them advertising, especially doing such broad advertising across the radio network that made people, you know, click the bait and to go through and to fill out the form. They, they wound up hiring two seasoned superintendents that still work with them today. And they got all of that really through the radio ad. I would say that that's not always applicable, but it worked here at getting to that target audience. So Katie, we are all wondering how expensive is a total traffic takeover of across all genres of radio for two solid weeks during peak hours of rush hour? Drum roll. In trouble with this. Um, this is when everybody hates me because my favorite word is depends and that's what's coming up right now. It depends on the market. So if you're trying to advertise in downtown New York City, that's going to be more expensive than trying to advertise, say, in Tampa, Florida. But depending on whatever your major metropolitan area is, you can work, and I I highly recommend um, our partners at iHeart. They were great on this. But for this particular spend, they spent $6,000 for, and the radio recorded. And they hired two yeah, they hired two superintendents, but the ad, you know, they got the pre-roll recorded, so they got this commercial. They owned that asset later, so we coupled it with, you know, the Smarties team after the fact on some other recruiting ideas. We coupled it with other paid tactics and organic tactics and made some quick little videos and ads to push out on social media. So we continue to use that asset for them. We've got kind of like this voiceover talent, if you will, um, on those little video vignettes. And then, um, you know, they, they had the live on radio and then they also with that, some of the DJs on certain stations, not all stations, but certain stations did a few different like live plugs. So where they would just, you know, bring that into regular conversation in the morning shows or the afternoon shows. So they got all of that for, you know, six grand, which is a whole heck of a lot less than advertising through some of your more traditional means and certainly less than the fee that they would have paid um, directly through the recruiters who typically take a percentage. And if you're paying, you know, hundred dollars to $150,000 a year for these individuals, it's a pretty sizable chunk. Absolutely. Wow. What a success story. And I think it's really important that our audiences understand that, you know, digital sometimes by itself will not work. But if you couple it with another distribution channel like radio or um, even, you know, if you're exhibiting at a trade show, you know, always think to yourself, how can I layer on a digital application because of its reach and its affordability to make my investment more um, lucrative and bring a, a bigger return? Absolutely. I mean, we work with clients all the time that are doing, you know, live events, you know, they've been asked to speak at a conference and they, you know, they spend all this time preparing their materials, preparing their call for speakers, you know, to be selected and then they get selected and the work really starts happening and they build these great decks and they practice and then they go to the conference and we encourage them like, hey, if this particular piece of content would be relevant to more than who's going to be sitting in that room with you, you should record it and let's find a way to promote it digitally online afterwards and have it keep working for you. So I would encourage people to think about, you know, what assets they already have that can be leveraged digitally, what events or what projects or whatever might be coming up in the future and see if there's another way to layer on a digital application and then what they're doing that, you know, in the physical world that they might could forego and do more cost effectively, more, you know, more efficiently just through a digital means, you know? Mm-hmm. Sounds like it makes a lot of sense to me. And it it's really not that hard to do. <laughs> it, it is really not that hard to do. So um, the other thing that I think is super fun to talk about with these clients, I think for the most part, our clients in the design and construction space have gotten on board with the fact that, yes, they do need a website. And I'm sorry for our listeners if this sounds crazy, but we still have those conversations that, yes, you need a website. But... Um, Beyond that, they've gotten on board with this idea that they should have a LinkedIn presence. But believe it or not, we still have the conversation on whether or not they should have a company Facebook page or whether or not they should have a company Instagram and some firms that just automatically jump on whatever the latest and greatest trend is and they empower their their young millennial staff to run it for them without any 
you know, concept of the business and, and who they're trying to reach. So Judy, I know that you have um, been preaching about the the need to understand your audience and where they live online and picking the right social media channel if social is the distribution channel. So maybe you might talk a little bit about that and how, you know, how you're utilizing some social media channels that other people had already like ruled out were not relevant for our industry. Sure, Katie. And I think that to be fair, you know, it really wasn't that long ago that it many professionals, myself included, believed that there is this hard line between personal social media and professional social media. But what I've seen in the last two years is this concept of work-life integration. Now, I think that most of us have abandoned the concept of achieving balance. (laughs) You know, this work-life balance thing that people speak of, if you're in the design and construction industry, my guess is you really don't know what that is. So we have now adopted what we call work-life integration, where you're seeing more flexibility around the workday, where people are working remote, people working from home, they're spending, you know, time with family, maybe during the workday, having the flexibility to go to their child's school and see a play or see a performance and then come back to work, maybe getting back on their laptop at night after after dinner, after people have gone to bed and putting in a few extra hours there. So this, you know, people are living and working um, and adapting this integrated lifestyle. So as a result of that, there has become a blur between personal and professional social media. So no longer is it uh, true that Facebook is for personal use and LinkedIn is for professional use. Um, I am seeing more and more every day professional-oriented advertising on Facebook and personal sentiments on LinkedIn. So. We are taking note of this trend and we're actually putting it to practice. So the truth is, is depending on who your audience is, they may or may not be on every platform. For example, the um, correctional audience, a lot of those people are not on LinkedIn. You know, your sheriffs, your prison wardens, they're not on LinkedIn, but you know, they are on Facebook looking at pictures of their grandkids and Uh, Facebook is part of their social lives. So where we're seeing the blur is, you know, it used to be taboo to uh, bother people on their personal time. Well, I don't know about you, Katie, but my cell phone number is on my business card now. I don't want people calling me at the office because I'm not chained to my desk. If you want to reach me, you have to call me on my mobile. And so you can reach me through Facebook in my off hours and it does not offend me. And I think that this has become very common. So I just want to establish that Facebook is being uh, used more and more. In fact, we went to the uh, B2B forum uh, national conference last year where all of the big business to business brands uh, were represented. Um, large enterprise companies that sell to other businesses. And a lot of primary research has been done around the subject of social media application and B2B environments. Shockingly, Facebook by far was the leading platform for B2B advertising. Well, and I think that it's so funny. Um, You know, you mentioned this correctional space, and I imagine that there's a large portion of architects, engineers, and contractors that serve that space. But what was shocking to me wasn't so much that the sheriffs were on Facebook, because I get that. But I was really shocked when we started building out some audience mapping and trying to do some things for some of our clients is understanding that those director of um, corrections, you know, at the high level for the state agencies, they weren't on LinkedIn, but they were on Instagram. And I was like, really? Like I never, you know, I, you know, I feel silly for just stereotyping people, but I did not anticipate that to be a trend. And then there's, you know, some other things where I find myself to be surprised where people spend so much of their time. 
Um, and yes. certainly when you look at your Google Analytics and anybody listening, if you're not looking at that to understand where your website traffic is coming from on a monthly basis, I highly encourage you to do that. And those of you that have been having Google Analytics for a while, there are other tools out there that get a little bit more granular, but it's always interesting to me to find out how people are coming to your site. And then whenever you engage in these advertising, online advertising avenues, where they actually come from. So if you do a, a Google display ad out there and it gets served up across the internet, it's, it's always funny to me where I got served up um, one of our clients online, um, fire protection part store ads when I was looking at crazycoupons.com. And I'm like, really? I'm, I'm getting served up this ad here? That's so funny to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow. So your audience was really busy, you know, checking out the March Madness event and following all the sports. I, I could have anticipated that. But oh, wow, you know, they're really avid watchers of Discovery Channel and they check in on that all the time. So there's a lot of data behind these digital campaigns that give you a glimpse into what the whole person looks like that makes up your target audience and how you might be able to find unique ways to surprise and delight them across the online opportunities. You know, and to that end, Katie, I think that you hit on something really important there. Uh, the data is something that you really have to pay attention to and audience mapping is key to an effective campaign. So I think a big mistake a lot of our customers make or a big assumption or, or to use your word stereotype is if you have a millennial on your staff or a, uh, a young person, you make an assumption that because they've grown up in the age of technology and social media, that they are the most qualified to run your social media. And that is a huge, huge mistake. You know why? Because they don't have the professional B2B experience to know how to apply that technical knowledge. Sure, they can get in and out of Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or, or you know, manage your Tumblr platform, but they don't understand what is going to resonate with your audience because they have not yet learned your business. So you cannot have a successful digital media application that is run by people who do not understand your business. That is, um, at the end of the day, to use social media effectively, it has to drive your business. And if you don't understand the fundamental things like how do we make money? Who is our target audience? What do they care about? What is it that I want them to do when I reach them? Then you're not going to have an effective ROI. So instead, what you have is a bunch of what we call look at me content. And nobody cares about that. Honestly, look at us at this groundbreaking. Look at us at this uh, charity event. Look at us at this meeting. Thank you, so-and-so vendor, for bringing donuts. Nobody cares about that. But it's natural to want to post those things because that's what we post in our personal lives. And we get a lot of engagement. Why? Because our audience knows us, likes us, are invested in our friendships, and they want to participate in celebrating our you know, very ordinary moments in life. But when you bring that to a business platform, if they're not personal friends with you or have a vested interest in your business already, they really don't want to engage with that kind of content. And if they are an employee of yours or already invested in your business, it's a nice to have to have them engage in your content. But really, the whole purpose of social media is to meet strangers to connect and engage with strangers who, and not just any strangers, strangers who might one day hire you. So to put that responsibility on somebody when it's their first job out of college, of course it's not going to work. So that's just something that I think that a lot of our uh, principals who are our clients are quick to assume this person knows how to use the tool, so they're the best person to execute the strategy. And that's the first mistake in a series of events that's going to end in, we didn't get anything out of this. Yeah. So, and I think on that subject too, just on social media as a whole, is our industry, you know, you and I see it all the time, firms that say, hey, I, I want to outsource social media to you guys, or, you know, I need to get a XYZ page or whatever. And we ask them why. And they're like, well, 
the cost. They, they, are, they really haven't thought through how they plan to use that distribution channel and what they really want their goals and objectives to be and who they're trying to reach. I see so many firms jump on this idea of, hey, we started an Instagram page. Well, yeah, well, do you know that 75% of things posted on Instagram don't get seen by anybody because it's so popular and you have to have a deliberate strategy on what you're going to do there, how you're going to target it and how you're going to grow your audience. Well, that's right. And, you know, at this, we went to this B2B forum national conference, um, as I've mentioned before, and we, uh, we learned that organic reach is dead. And so for you listeners who may not be familiar with the term organic reach, that's basically, you know, the content that you put up on your pages for free, you're not paying for it to be displayed. What you might not know is that, um, all of these platforms are in fact advertising platforms and that's how they make their revenue is through advertising dollars. So even if you have, let's say a hundred followers of your Facebook page and you put up some organic content, only one to 6% of the people who are your followers will actually see that content. Unless you start paying for advertising, it's really a waste of time to post organic content because one, it's only going to reach people who already know you and are, are already following you. And two, it's only going to you know reach one to 6% of those people. So if you're going to do social media, you have to budget for paid application in order for it to be effective. Or I would argue with you that you shouldn't have it at all. Spoken like a true CMO there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> real about it. So um, for all the listeners, hopefully this session on Let's Get Digital and how the digital world and landscape is here to stay, how it can apply to the design and construction space. Hopefully it's been helpful for you. Judy, if you want to summarize in three key points, what were the major takeaways that you want them to understand today? I think the major takeaways is one, accept that digital media is here to stay. And that the professional services industry or the built environment is not the one industry in the entire world that is immune from utilizing this distribution channel and uh, utilizing it effectively. Um, There is an application for your business. Um, I promise you it's going to be cheaper than the traditional applications in most cases. And if you are not looking at your digital marketing opportunities very closely, uh, whether it's for marketing to clients or marketing to employees, um, you're probably overspending and you are probably um, leaving really great opportunities on the table. So I, I really, really encourage all of you to have an open mind about digital and really truly think about what you could achieve by using this online distribution channel for your business. Food for thought, guys. Thank everybody for you guys tuning in. We will see you next time. Have a great week. You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principles, brought to you by Smartergies. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting aecmarketingpodcast.com, where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners. 